You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 503 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you live on this fine Wednesday evening. Um, back to uh, talk about a game for the first time for the first time in 2019. And if you missed it, we did have one podcast that dropped after 2019 arrived. That was a uh, breakdown with Robbie Calland and myself earlier this week. If you guys missed that one, please go back and check it out. Always a good time when Robbie's on the podcast. Even when people uh, disagree with what he with what he says or what I say or what, with what we both say, we always have fun. And uh, hopefully that one came through as such. But uh, before we get to some game stuff, as we always do here, the Hawks did lose by 16 point margin on Wednesday night. There was a couple of uh, news issues. Items that I wanted to hit on before we before we get started on the actual game itself. One of those was that Mike Scotto of the Athletic reported that Kent Bazemore is quote leaning towards opting in end quote to his 2019 player option. Um, not a huge surprise there. 2019 2020 season that would pay him 19.3 million dollars for next season. Um, honestly. Most people have been operating under the assumption that baseball would be opting in for a while. I've kind of pointed out a few times on this podcast and in my, in my writing that it's not 100% certain that he will do so. I know it's always been an assumption that baseball will opt in. I'm, I'm certainly assuming that myself. But that was the first sort of firmer reporting on that from Mike Scotto, who's usually plugged in with Bazemore on certain things. He's had he's had some stuff on Bazemore over the years, so worth definitely noting what's going on there. There is a price point, in my opinion, in which Bazemore might want to might want to might want to uh, opt out and secure a multi-year deal if it was available to him. That's where agents come in. And you always see that with, with options and things like that. Agents should be trying to figure out behind the scenes whether he can get a big long-term deal um, locked up somewhere else if that was the case. But um, only the only, and most of that's because baseball will turn 30 years old on July 1st. So there, there is some age risk with Bazemore. I think he's been awesome. Obviously, he's injured at this moment, which probably doesn't do him any favors when it comes to getting traded, etc. But I do think $19 million is a lot for Bazemore. I think it's more than he's probably going to earn on an annual basis. With that said, there is some value if you can get a multi-year, a three or four-year deal at big money, you might want to consider opting out. But uh, just some that's something I wanted to pass along there. I didn't even write about it. it. wasn't something that I wanted to like dive into deep right now in, in January, especially because it wasn't like firm reporting. It's more of a lean. And uh, that was certainly a pretty interesting topic to discuss, though, just because I think Bazemore's future is something that Hawks fans want to talk about a lot. Most of that's trade-centered at this moment in time. But if he's still around after the trade deadline, the next big decision with Bazemore will be his opt-in or opt-out at the end of the year. So something to keep an eye on there. Uh, one more note um, in terms of just stuff that's going on. I tweeted about this actually on Wednesday, but prior to Wednesday's game, uh, a bit of an encouraging note that I wanted to pass along there. A, the trio of Trey Young, Kevin Herter, and John Collins, which is basically Atlanta's uh, core trio in my opinion. I think you can maybe maybe throw Torian Prince in there if you wanted to, but I would personally go with Young, Herter, and Collins as the team's core trio right now. That's the third most uh, used trio of guys playing together. Together for the Hawks this season, those guys have played 304 minutes together. A pretty frequent alignment for Atlanta, especially recently when when, when Collins came back in, and they're doing quite well together. Before tonight's game, they were plus 2.3 points per, per 100 possessions, which doesn't sound incredible. But when the team's being outscored by about 10 per 100 possessions on the season, that's a huge swing. It's one of the best marks on the team, and they have a 109 offensive rating when playing together, which is the best offensive three-man unit that the Hawks have with a significant sample size of time, more than 100 minutes of playing time together. So it's still a pretty small sample, honestly. 
obviously, you know, 300 minutes is not anything to write home about necessarily in the grand scheme of things, but when it, vol- when it involves your three core pieces playing well together, that's definitely a good sign, and I think um, while this wasn't the greatest night for the entire team, I will say, there were some nice moments between, between those three guys, and they're very, very encouraging in different ways as a, uh, as a trio there. Uh, last thing, uh, the G League actually got a, another piece, and Alex Poitras has been down there. He was sent back earlier this week and with Dwayne Devin back in the rotation. That makes a lot of sense for Atlanta to send Poitras back down to preserve his two-way clock. And uh, actually, Erie played tonight. I didn't, I did not, I did not watch that game because it was, it was during the Hawks game. I'll go back and check it out a little bit because uh, both Poitras and Amari Spellman are in Erie right now. Poitras actually had a huge game with 27 points and eight rebounds. Spellman had 12 and 10 in, in his own right. Erie did lose by 15 points, but I just wanted to point out that Poitras is back down there in Erie. Theory. I know there was some weirdness over the weekend where he actually went down and came back, but with Deadman playing in this game on Wednesday, there was uh, no reason to bring uh, Poitras back, and uh, those guys would be operating in the G League. We'll see how long they're, we'll see how long Spellman's there for, but Poitras might be there for a while. Um, just I guess unless there's an injury or something like that in Atlanta. So on to the game itself. Again, I mentioned before the Hawks lost by 16 point margin to the Wizards. The answer of this game actually is only about a five or six point underdog because Washington's been struggling and uh, John Wall's out for the season, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, definitely a spot where the Hawks sort of just ran out of gas. We'll, we'll get there in a minute in the fourth quarter. But in general, Atlanta played pretty decently for three quarters. I, I say pretty, not, not, not incredible by any means, but the fourth quarter was uh, pretty much a flop for the Hawks. And that's how you end up with a 16 point loss. So uh, one note here, uh, I guess Deadman coming back after two game absence was certainly noteworthy. He got his, uh, he, he got back in the starting lineup here. And Daniel Hamilton got his second, his second NBA start. Neither one of those were a huge surprise. I think Hamilton starting is not a huge surprise at this point in time. We'll talk more about the rotation a little bit more on the podcast later on, but Devin coming back, looking uh, looking like himself, which is very, very nice. Devin played 27 minutes, looked fine, and uh, that was probably a good sign. So, uh, otherwise, offense was definitely the uh, the word of the day in the first quarter of this game, especially in the first uh, few minutes of this game. Uh, in fact, there were eight straight trips at one point early in the first quarter where there were not stop, there were not stops happening on either end, either end of the floor. The Hawks actually opened this game six of seven from the floor with two threes. Washington was five of seven from the floor with two threes, and there was a lot of offense flying up and down the floor on both on both sides. There were two early fouls for Devin and. The first five minutes, they went to Alex Len. No drop off there. Len was fantastic in this game. He was probably the biggest story for Atlanta, honestly, with the way he played. Um, and but Devin got both of us fouled within within about 80 seconds. One of the, one of those was kind of a questionable call, honestly, but I ended up plaguing him a little bit in, in that first half. The other big story early on was John Collins, who was uh, electric early on. He had 10 points in the first eight minutes. He was 4-4 four four from the floor with two dunks and two threes, which is a pretty great opening for John Collins, obviously, or really for anyone, but it was great, great, for, great for John for obvious reasons. There was the, uh, a lot, lot of uh, substitutions, though, happening in the first quarter. The Hawks had their full second unit on the, on the floor by the 4-15 mark of the first half, uh, sorry, of the first quarter, uh, with Justin Anderson at the three, alongside Bembry and Lynn and um, Vince Carter at the four. There was a pretty uh, crazy, and, and I, what I would say is ultra-rare, a double lane violation late in the first quarter, which I wanted to at least point out that ended up with, with a jump ball at midcourt. That's, that's something you don't, that you don't see every day. Uh, didn't have a really, didn't have a huge impact. But something I wanted, wanted to at least point out there that was a weirdness that happened in this game. The Wizards were just, were just getting the line a lot in the first quarter. In fact, uh, they took ten free throws before the Hawks took their first, and that was uh, not a huge thing that played out throughout the game. But it was definitely the case in the first quarter. Just some aggressiveness from Washington getting calls, and the Hawks weren't getting calls on the road either. Atlanta got, got down by nine, but there was actually a big three by Alex Lynn late in the first quarter at sort of the near buzzer mark. He had ten points in the first, and hilariously, the the, the top. Three 
three scores at the end of the first quarter were all true bigs. John Collins had 10, Alex Lynn had 10, and Thomas Bryant had 10 for the Wizards, which is kind of crazy to see. But offense was definitely the, the rule of the day in the first quarter. It was back and forth, but uh, Atlanta trailed by six at the end of the first. In the second, they came back with the starters, except for with Bembry at the uh, at the three alongside Kevin Herter. Um, that was actually a Washington run to go up by 11, and eventually they actually went up by, I believe, 14 at one point in the uh, second quarter. But, uh, again, more John Collins. He hit two more threes early in the third quarter. In fact, he had his career high in three-point field goals made with four, which is what he finished with in the game, to be fair. But he had all four in the first, like, 12, 15 minutes of uh, playing time. Um, that was pretty crazy. So a career high for John with four, four made threes. He opened six of six from the floor in the game, and he began the night as a 26% three-point shooter and then made four or five. So that will definitely help his percentages, to be sure. There was a nice, um, what I thought when I wanted to point out, a nice good foul, actually, from Trey Young, which is kind of funny to say. But in, in, in transition, he was actually chasing down from behind, wrapped up somebody from behind on, on a layup attempt, physically Physically showed uh, no uh, no hold back there. You know, Trey played physically, went went through him, didn't, didn't let the shot get up. That's sort of a little thing, but I think it's for me, it's a good sign from him defensively. Later on in this game, he had a, he had a nice uh, backdoor steal actually when he's using his quick hands. It's something that you know Trey's never going to have great tools defensively, but. He does have good hands, and his awareness has been better recently, so that was good to see from him in a small thing there. There was a 7-0 run, though, from Washington to go up by 13 late in the second in the second quarter. It was their largest lead of the night at the, to that point in time. Uh, Trey had a great first half passing the ball. He had seven assists, but honestly probably should have been 9 or 10 with some jaw, with some honestly jaw, jaw-dropping finds um, that he had throughout that first half. Just kind of, you know... Pretty high-level stuff, as always. I think I'm, I probably have a drinking game going on with people that are trying to listen to me talk about Trey Young's passing, but he was fantastic as a passer, especially in the first half of this game. He was picked on a little bit defensively, though. There was a, was a memorable one with Trevor Reza posting him up, sort of that mouse-in-house situation, and Trey did a good job to battle, but you'll see that throughout the, throughout games. You know, defensively, he's he's picked on a lot, but offensively, his passing was, tremen- was tremendous, and that sort of balances out to a certain degree. At the half, though, uh, Collins had 16 points. 12 and 5 for Alex Lynn. And uh, the defense, though, was not great. A 124 defensive rating in the first half. Um, Wizards got up 50, 51% from the floor, only three turnovers. And uh, Thomas Bryant was perfect from the floor, which is kind of crazy to see with 16 points. The Hawks did turn it over a little bit more than you wanted to in the second quarter, but honestly, we're still decent offensively in the first half. Just defensively couldn't get stops. The third quarter, though, was much better. It was the best quarter of the night from, from the Hawks um, on the scoreboard and really just aesthetically as well. There was an early technical foul on Lloyd Pierce, which is uh, kind of funny. He was uh, pretty, pretty bothered by a non traveling call, it looked like like early in the third but other than that it was actually a really good a nice little mini run from the Hawks to get back into the game they chipped away kind of slowly um went, went from down 14 to down by six and then down by and then all the way down by one on a free throw by DeAndre Bembry late in the first half there was a great pass from Kevin Herter that was uh in, in the mix there during that run and uh, Bradley Beal was sort of kicking the ball around for the Wizards but um honestly the big the big story there other than the comeback itself was the play of Alex Lynn who had 20 points and 10 rebounds at the end of the third quarter in 19 minutes of total play 20 and 10 and 19 minutes is pretty crazy to see and it was his first 2010 game of the year he kept going in the fourth of course but just the work that he had in the first three quarters just being incredibly um incredibly efficient and productive and that's pretty good from Alex Lynn the Hawks also forced six turnovers in the third quarter um and given that um Washington only had 10 for the game that was kind of the only time that they were able to do that that was a huge uh, swing in the third and they outscored the Wizards 31 to 24 in the fourth though it got pretty ugly there were it wasn't all ugly there was a nice sequence early on in the period where uh Alex Lynn had a block that went into a Trey Young pass to Kevin Herter for a dunk in transition to get it to two um early in the in the fourth and honestly the Hawks tied this game up with 644 to go on another bucket from Alex Lynn at that point in time it looked like it was going to be a, it, it was definitely gonna 
going to be a ball game from that point forward. But um, the uh, Wizards scored the last uh, 20 of the last 24 points. It was 20 to 4 from that point. It was 94 94 with 6.44 to go, and the game ended 114 to 98. Pretty ugly from the Hawks, running out of gas down the stretch. It was an 8 0 run immediately after they tied the game, just filling the matchup defensively. The defense was just kind of a mess, and the offense was kind of just scrambled. Um, not, not much going on there. There was a timeout from the Hawks when they were down by eight. There was a, an air ball corner three from DeAndre Bember that was a bad shot. They, they briefly got it, got it to six after a brief bucket, but the, uh, the Wizards then had a, had a 9-0 run of their own. Once again, it was a 17-2 run overall, and again, as I mentioned before, 20-2, to 20-4, I should say, overall after the game was tied. So, you know, in the fourth quarter, the Hawks, the, the Hawks shot six of, 24, six of 21 from the floor, 0 of 3 from 3. They had two assists, four turnovers, and only 14 points. That tells the story. I was a little bit surprised to see uh, Jeremy Lin play most of crunch time, if not all of crunch time. Trey Young was not fantastic in this game, especially in the second half, but Lin wasn't great either, and I was surprised they never went back to Young uh, at any point there. I don't think it would have mattered necessarily. Just the Hawks really couldn't create shots. That's something that Young had, that Young was doing. If there's one thing that Young, Young was doing well in this game, it was creating shots for others with spacing and his passing. With that said, I don't think it really would have mattered, but pe- people were asking me after the game if I thought that was a little bit weird. I did. I mean, there, there are games when I've actually defended that move where going with Lynn as the hot hand makes some sense. Lynn was not the hot hand, though. Like, he wasn't just terrible in this game, but um, Young was... Uh, not you know all my, my thing is all things equal it should be Trey Young closing games just because you know all things equal it's the future that matters and the, with the way that those two guys were playing I would have gone with Young not a huge deal in my opinion but something because people were asking me about that I wanted to that I wanted to address so you know long, I guess big picture in this game defensively the defense actually was a little bit better in the, in the second half than you might think they only allowed 49 points sorry 50, 50 points in the second half and still had a 114 to 114 defensive rating which is bad but it was 124 in the first half so it was pretty good after half I'm honestly defensively but still too much from Jeff Green who had 22 points Beal finally got loose late after being held down for most of the game he had 24 uh Brian had 16 15 points 16 points 15 rebounds I should say and Thomas Saleransky who actually got some some praise from Lloyd Pierce after the game in his pro, in his postgame press conference had 14 11 and 7 he was a big spark for them in the second half they were just better I mean Washington's not overly talented right now without the uh, without the services of John Wall and with Otto Porter coming off an injury. He only played 14 minutes in this game. It's pretty anonymous for the most part, but Wizards just executed well and uh, played well in this game. Offensively for the Hawks, not too much in the way of overall team success. A 98.4 offensive rating is pretty rough. 14 turnovers, but they actually led directly to 27 points. That's a bad ratio. So not that there were too many turnovers, but just a lot of bad ones that led to that led directly to buckets in this game. A 42% clip from the floor, 32% from three. So not terrible as a shooting unit, but not not great either. 26 assists, 14 turnovers is not terrible either, but just didn't get to the line very often. Only made 8 of 13 from there. And just an overall sort of blah performance. A 49% true shooting is not great by any means. So, you know, Atlanta, the numbers look worse because of the the fourth quarter. Through three, it was a pretty competitive effort. And honestly, the Hawks getting back to a tie game with 6.44 to go should be noted, but the collapse was kind of what it was as a young team running out of gas. It looked like we'll talk more about that later. With, in, with individual guys, but just, could, just couldn't, couldn't really create good shots in the, in the fourth quarter, and that ended up being a big difference in the game. So, as we always do, we'll come back in a second with um, with some time to talk about the individual play in this game. I do want to take a moment to remind you guys to, to subscribe to the podcast. I told you guys before, the, 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 most, re, most, the most recent podcast with Robbie Callen is definitely one that you want to listen to, as well as the fact that I had Travis Schlenk on the show for episode 500. I know that I'm, I'm probably nearing the end of uh, promotion on that particular one, but wanted to point that out as well, and check out the entire Locked On Podcast network subscribe tell your friends do all that fun stuff we'll be back again in just a few seconds with the individual stuff from this game 
All right, we're back. Talk about the individual stuff as we always do, and we'll start on the uh, on the bench in this game. A couple of things to note, just briefly. Justin Anderson played only five minutes, which kind of surprised me a little bit because he, he actually played in the first half. We'll get to see why here in a little bit because Kevin Herter played a lot of minutes in this game, but Anderson didn't do much offensively. 0-2 from the floor, 0-1 from three, was minus seven and a turnover, so wasn't his best night in the world. But probably more, I probably would like to see a little bit more from him, just moving, just as general rule. It's nothing new for me, but you know, five minutes is probably not, not as much as I want to see there. And the only other guy, only other guy that played single digit mentioned was, was Tyler Dorsey, who actually played only in uh, only in garbage time. He came in for the final minute of this game. Miles Plumley got a DNPCD, which isn't a huge surprise against a pretty small team in um, Washington, but something to point out as well. Otherwise, on the bench, Vince Carter had sort of a rough shooting night. He was one of six from the floor, one of four from three in 14 minutes. Three points, two rebounds, two assists for Vince. Didn't have too much going there. If, if shots not falling, uh, it's, it's kind of tough sometimes for Vince. And of course, he's been playing some pretty big minutes recently as well. Jeremy Lin, 20 minutes. Eight points, five assists, three three steals, two rebounds, and two turnovers for Jeremy. He was actually a game best plus five for the Hawks, which I think is slightly misleading, but I think he was okay. You know, two of seven from the floor, one of four from three, three of four from the free throw line. I thought Jeremy was fine. Um, typical performance from him. And in some ways, obviously he shoots better than that normally, but I thought he did some good things, did some uh, things that, um, you know, he was not great down the stretch board. Nobody, nobody was great down the stretch, which it was not a Jeremy Lin problem necessarily, but, um, you know, there's some nice moments. The five, the five assists, three steals is definitely worth pointing out, and I thought Jeremy was generally fine. Um, DeAndre Bembry, 11 points and 7 rebounds in 26 minutes, 5-9 from the floor. He did a good job defensively, I thought. A couple of uh, over... Over plays from him offensively, he's prone to doing a little bit too much and probably more than you want him to do on that end of the floor. I thought he was pretty good, honestly, in this game, but defensively, definitely outshined the offense as it almost always does with DeAndre. Just a couple of bad moments offensively, but I thought he was I thought he's pretty solid in general. The one uh, huge bright spot off the bench was Alex Len, 24 points, 11 rebounds, three block shots, 27 minutes. He was 11 of 19 from the floor, one of three from three, one of two from the free throw line. I got a couple people asking me if Len was the center of the future after this game. I would tell you to slow down on that just a little little bit. I do like Alex Lynn. I've been high on him since since the uh, moment that that deal was signed. I think if you were a long-time listener, you would know that. I was a big fan of that contract. I still am. It's a good value. I don't think he is necessarily going to be the starting center of the future for the Hawks, but he played very, very well in this game. He's had some really nice moments this year. This might have been his best game of the year, honestly. He was fantastic, and uh, that's worth pointing out as well. Uh, to the starting lineup, not as many bright spots as uh, as normal, at least in the recent past for the Hawks. Uh, Devin, I mentioned before, had only 27 minutes, but six points, nine rebounds. Good to have him back. An assist, a steal, and a block for Dwayne. Three three back from the floor. Only one three-point attempt, which probably you want, to, you want to see more than that from Dwayne, but I thought he was pretty solid. Didn't do it too much um, to take a lot off the table and just was okay. You know, obviously outshined by Len in this game, but that's nothing. There's nothing really wrong with that. Uh, Daniel Hamilton was pretty quiet. Eight points, seven rebounds, though. Good, good, good uh, competitive spirit from him. Pierce was actually asked about Hamilton after the game and referenced that as well. They like his aggressiveness. They like his rebounding. Um, he plays hard. Uh, defensively, he had, a, he had a rough time on Beal at, at different points in this game, which isn't a huge surprise. You know, Bradley Beal's awesome. He's an all-star level player. But, um, you know, Daniel Hamilton was actually fine. Three back from the floor, one of three from three for Hamilton. Um, Trey Young, five points, nine assists, four turnovers, and a, mi- and a minus 19 in game worse there. So the splits are not great there for Trey, which is the plus minus with Jeremy. That's worth pointing out, to be sure. 20, 28 minutes, two away from the floor, one of two from three. I mentioned before, I think I would have had him out there down the stretch. I'll stand by that. Um, with that said, he wasn't great in the second half by any means. His passing in the first half, I raved about that earlier. It was fantastic. His, his passing is incredible, usually. Um, he was a little bit worse than that in the third and fourth quarters. And didn't, just didn't have the same sort of verb offensively. He sort of ran out of gas a little bit as well. 28 minutes is actually fine. It felt like he played less than that, honestly, which is not a bad thing. You know, he, he still played star-level minutes in this game. But 
wasn't his greatest night, wasn't his worst night by any means. So it's sort of a middling game from Trey. Uh, Kevin Herter, 44 minutes for Kevin Herter. 44 minutes in a, regu- in a regulation game. That's, that's just something you don't see very often in the NBA right now, especially on the Hawks. As someone who covered uh, Mike Budenholzer, the Mike Budenholzer era, I'm not sure anybody ever played 40 more minutes in a regulation game uh, for the Hawks during, during, during his tenure. It might have happened. I haven't looked it up, but that was a pretty crazy amount to see. Uh, in the in defense of that, Pierce has sort of uh, laughed and tongue-in-cheek this, but I think he's uh, telling the truth in that he's not worried about young guys playing playing a lot of minutes. I understand that. Herter definitely looked tired in the fourth quarter, which is, you know, goes without saying. That's not even a shot at Kevin Herter by any means. Don't get me wrong. It's not, there's nothing he's doing wrong that'll be to be tired after playing 44 minutes in an NBA game. That's a crazy amount. I understand playing him a ton right now just because they need his offense. Without Bazemore, without Prince, they really need his offense on the wing because Bembry is not a good offensive player right now on the wing. And otherwise, you're talking about Hamilton, you're talking about Carter, and they, and they didn't go to Dorsey. So, you know, Herter is far and away the best wing offensive player that the Hawks have right now available. And if you take them off the floor, they're gonna have a they're really gonna have a hard time scoring. I think 44 minutes is probably too many. I will say just because even for a rookie, I understand it wasn't a back to back, but still, that's a lot of time. Um, but still, I really don't. I I, I I sort of anticipated him playing a ton during this stretch. That's definitely come to fruition. He played 40 minutes the other night as well. 44 is a little bit much, but I understand it. Um, he had 12 points, five assists, and he was five of 14 from the floor, one of seven from three. The shooting, I'm not worried about at all. He's a great. He's already a good shooter. No question about that. This is sort of just a rough night there. His passing actually played up really nicely in this spot. Defensively, you've, I think we've seen him um, have a little bit less on the end of the floor recently, just because the Hawks. Are, I, I think he knows going into games now he's going to be playing a lot in the in the in the no base more no Prince era. I think that probably saps his, saps his intensity just a little bit defensively, which is defensible, honestly, just because if he, if he knows he's going to play a ton, he can't really go you know full on, full out defensively in big matchups. But I heard it was actually pretty good despite the bad shooting. The shooting is not something you can just ignore, but you know, 44 minutes is just kind of crazy. And I thought he was actually play. He actually played, he actually played pretty well here despite the bad shooting that night that he had. Uh, finally, John Collins was. Good again, once again. You know, he actually fell short of double double, which is actually noteworthy this time of year because he's he's had so many in a row here. But 21 points, eight rebounds, three assists, two turnovers, and four fouls for John in 27 minutes. He was eight of 14 from the floor, four or five from three. He actually didn't play a ton. It didn't really occur to me until after the game. I was sort of looking back and on my second watch and was like, oh yeah, John only played 20, 27 minutes. You know, I don't really have a huge problem with that. I probably would have gone with him a little bit more than that just because of the fact that this game was pretty competitive um, and they needed him to play more than that because they're just so much better with him on the floor than anybody else. The, the gap, as I've been saying all season long, even going back to the summer, the gap between Collins and everybody else at the four is just so jarring that he has to be out there. Um, you know, I'm not going to just throw a, throw a fit about 27 minutes. That's, that's okay, but probably should have played more in this spot. 21 points, eight rebounds. Again, he was, he was very good. The shooting in the first half, obviously unsustainable. I mentioned before, 26% from three coming into the night. He was four or five from three. You can't really bank on that, but it was nice to see. And he was shooting the ball with confidence. John's playing very, very well offensively. Defensively, we I think we've seen some of the cracks in the armor the last few weeks for me. Uh, was, there were a few in this game when uh, you know Jeff Green's kind of doing whatever he wants around the rim. Same with Thomas Bryant. That's not all Collins, but I think the, I think you, you definitely can see some of the uh, weirdness there. But the production is what it is. He's been fantastic offensively on the glass, and you could sort of live with it because of how good he's been offensively, how efficient he's been as well. 
So that'll do it for today's podcast. Um, we will not have another show until after the game on Friday night. The Hawks will be playing on the road against Milwaukee, and we're going to hold on and do a Saturday morning podcast on the heels of that one. That's the first time the Hawks will have seen former coach Mike Budenholzer. And then actually Milwaukee comes to town next Sunday to Atlanta, which will be interesting. So a couple of, not a full back-to-back, but two times within about nine days of uh, Hawks-Bucks. And the Bucks, by the way, are playing the best basketball in the league right now in terms of their overall record. They've been fantastic this, this season. They have Giannis. That'll be a lot of fun. And we'll talk more about that on Saturday morning, I guess Friday night into Saturday morning. So that'll be the next podcast. But please subscribe to the show. It really, it would really help me, really help the show, really help the network, all that fun stuff. Click on it, multiple platforms if you want to. Download, listen, do all that stuff. Please tell your friends, and we'll see you guys on Friday night.